1: Welcome
0: to the London Review Bookshop. Thanks to Claire, to David, to John, to everyone here, of course, at the London Review Bookshop for the chance to... To do these events, to uh, to have these in conversations in such a special place with fellow travellers, with friends, where we can really get to grips with the, the work and the ideas and, and the writing that matters. And of course, all of those things apply in spades to the conversation that we will have with Anne this evening and this extraordinary work, which I will attempt to navigate uh, an evening around to do justice to its wonders and its depths. I don't know how many of you have uh, encountered the book yet, but we will shortly... Uh, I'll unscroll it for you, shall we say, because it has a physicality that is very, very rare um, in contemporary book production. And there's a reason for that. It's not an add-on. It's not some kind of idea that comes after the event. It's uh, indivisibly woven, shall we say, into the material. Um, But we should also celebrate the fact that we're looking at such a book in a bookshop like this, and on an evening like this, where the ideas, uh, like the wine, can flow, I hope. So it's very much a conversation. And... Before we talk about anything inside the book, it would be great to talk about the book itself as an object. It's very, very distinctive and special. And I will try, and maybe if you would like to hold, perhaps you would like to hold, how should we do this And I can, I'll I'll be walking for some time. I just, I will say.
1: I think it might stretch down to the door if we went that direction. Um, So it
0: opens out. Maybe I'll stop there. Yes, it always. And there we are. Now, that is a very, very practical encounter with the book, but it says nothing about um, what is going on with it and why. I do like the idea of the dance, which has already entered into things, because that's one of the motifs that I will bring in a bit later on. But, um, Anne, on uh, on one of the covers of this book without spine, shall we say, Um, there is an extract, a a few lines from the poem, and it says, not two to make one, but two to make the third, just as a conversation can become the third side of the page. So in the book that we've just seen, unscrolled, we have two sides of the paper, but like a Mobius strip, I guess, without the final twist in the actual volume, this is a a single scroll, shall we say, which has two sides and a third side. And on one level it has an image and quotation side and it has a poetic side. Before we hear even a word from it, could you sow this sow the seeds of its origins as, as a book for us? And the elements, the main elements within it.
1: Okay. Um, thank you very much for coming tonight on this lovely evening. I, I really appreciate you you being here. The book is a it's a it's a book-length poem and <coughs> written so that um, one can enter into it uh, from at any point. Each page is a section. The uh, first words and the last words of the poem are the same, forming a circle. Uh, the, the form allows you to place any section of the poem next to any other section of the poem. It allows you to place any portrait next to any other portrait. Uh, it allows you to place any portrait next to any section of the poem so that all, uh, all of these um, pieces speak to the to the other, speak to each other. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about about the book. Correspondences is a, is an elegy for my father uh, for his times and for a particular conversation with, with history My father was ill for 10 years without what most would consider memory and without language. Some poems emerge from silence and some from speechlessness. And correspondences emerges from speechlessness. The poem is also an elegy for the German poets Paul Celan and Nellie Sachs, and for many others, some well-known, some barely known. There are 26 portraits with the 26 letters of the alphabet. In bringing these figures together was the hope of shelter. Celan and Sachs shared an extraordinary intimacy. They began to correspond after the Second World War and continued to write to each other for the rest of their lives. They referred to each other as brother and sister. They met only twice, when Salan was 40 and Sachs 69. For Salan especially, the German language was both refuge and torment. The language had been mutilated for him But that mutilation became part of its meaning. Celan committed suicide by drowning himself in the Seine, and Sax died the day Celan was buried. In this poem, I wanted to boil language down to an absolute simplicity to take everything away and to see to see what was left.
0: The poem uh, and the book uh, also dialogue with biographies of the the poets and writers of witness that uh, you talk about and uh, of which the portraits are made. There are at least four major elements if you like we bring the uh, physicality of the book into that um, as well and I wondered how important to you it was that the book almost works, it, we, we, one can use the word concertina or accordion as a kind of you know, holding device for what the book might, might represent, but it seems fundamental because if it is either of those things, particularly the accordion, it's like the breath of the book, the, the lungs of the book are filling with the words and the absences, of course, of speech as well that you talked about, before one even turns a page or even begins to encounter the, the content. Which I think it's fair to say has the depth and the and the reach in a very different register of a poem like the Four Quartets. This is a poem that you do not read once and walk away from. You re-enter it, you inhabit it in the way that we could have unscrolled this and could have contained two or three people within it. Uh, It's a poem you live within and clearly will revisit any of us who read it uh, over the course of the rest of our lives. So in that sense the book as you said is a shelter also a shelter of memory but it's also something that offers itself forward as a way of thinking about what language can do now. It's very much not a historical document looking back, although it honours all those histories. So before we hear from it, could you think out loud for us about where you think the poem, this poem, of course, we're holding in mind, but the idea of the poem sits now in the culture for you?
1: Well, it's very important for me to make a distinction between what we hold on to, and what we hold. And I'm interested in holding and not holding on to. It was a very, almost a terrifying experience to uh, take language down to such a spare place. And there are, there are, to write a page, to have a page where there are Two words, six letters, two two tiny words on the page was um, even for someone who thinks you know can't bear to have a, a word wasted even even for me it was it was terrifying to see two two small words on a page because you know is it possible to write that purely to cleanse the language to such an extent that that those two words, those six letters, could hold up everything that around it, hold hold the rest of the poem. Mm-hmm. So that kind of sparseness was a whole other way of, uh, a whole other faith in language for mm-hmm. me, uh, because uh, in some ways this was grappling with a kind of faithlessness in mm-hmm. language. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that I, I didn't know whether that s- simplicity would, would reach the reader in the way that I, that I hoped that it would. Mm, yeah.
0: I think it's important now, just so we have a, some sense of a common space, if you could read uh, okay. what you would like to from, from um, the, the sequence.
1: Before I read from, from a book, I just want to, as a way of greeting, read a very, very, very short poem which in a way kind of introduces the soul of the book. And then I'll be reading excerpts. Um, the, the poem can be navigated through and into so many ways. Um, so I, I've just chosen one pathway through to read to you. But, but before that, I just, just as a way of greeting you and as a thank you, I'd like to just read something very short. Ask aloud... To taste the salt of the stars in the sea. To love another more than oneself. To know this is to know everything. Do you see how the dusk and rain are one? Do our bodies come to nothing? Not how we fall in love but how we fail in love. Ask aloud what comes of us. My love, do you understand me? Not surmise, but sunrise. Ask aloud what comes of us. Not our memory of the dead but what the dead remember. And then we came, and you were no longer there, everything in its place, your presence gone. We waited, went out, returned, but still nothing held the light after rain, for I looked there, too, in the rain that fell. And yet, a soul can make the wind blow, made light and shadow through the trees, through rain, can be as near as your own skin. The rain that held the light that fell, the rain that fell, the light that held. This room and the love we lived here, that which your memory last looked upon, Your task now, perhaps, to forget not us, but the details of us. And love again, and love again, and love again, sealing the seam endlessly, one pressed to another, like metal folded over and again for strength, like pleated cloth gathered and pierced by the steel needle of that single moment of dying. And you will come back to me, and I will come back to you and all the world will be a sign. All the world and every thought, every drop of paint to make sunlight or love in a human eye, every word that passes through our breath, every weight we hold and carry, every grasp of hair, grasp of heat, every cupping and every emptying, your warm hand and both in mine, your soul's hand, above the hospital bed. They wanted you to shout oranges in the street, a few coins from the grocer to raise your voice, but you stared at the pyramid of perfume and oil and instinctively smelled your fingers for that vanished scent and felt into your pocket for that bit of peel carried since, and stood the mud of another country still on your shoes silenced by that bit of earth. While Solan in Paris wept for the same contraband, Ranger and Grancé, gnawing and grinding, between voix and voix, voice and path, between converse and its converse, between Ansel and Solan, between Meyer and Amory, between the Naaman and the Prut, between the Prut and the Seine, between Sof and Swaf rescue and thirst. Celan rushed from Paris to Stockholm and stood forever unadmitted outside her hospital door. Come as quickly as possible, Sax had written, and then don't under any circumstances come. because to touch means always. Come, it's time to set the table. Dusk is bruised with rain. The water is alive under the wind. Evening is upon us. Outside, the animals make their accommodation. The lake loses its reflection, settles deeper. Set down the brush on the saucer, leave off the book, open, with its words against the pillow. The washing of hands, the tea kettle, the whiskey, stocking feet on the wooden floor. Help me carry the chairs, never enough chairs through the narrow doorway, chairs borrowed from the sewing table, from the desk, from the work table, paint spattered and mended with wire. Bring the piano bench. Find the perfect symphony for parsing vegetables into broth. No need for candles. We'll see each other well enough in the dark. Draw close your father's chair next to my father's. And I'll fetch a book for the orphan's chair so she can reach the table. And last, a chair for the mourner who accompanies the body so the soul is never not for a single moment alone the surface of the water cut and mended cut and mended scissored into endless fragments and joinings places for the light to settle then drown and settle again a line break forever changing the word above And the word below, altered by a breath.
0: Thank you. Um, In the selection you read, we see some of the key approaches that you bring to the the poem in its entirety. And one is struck by the deep sense of the material that carries the the spiritual and the metaphysical concerns of the poem. The sense of objects, of, of the physicality of things, the value and worth of things, but also, of course, what they mean and what they hold. And that is explicitly referenced throughout. But also, crucially, this, as you you hinted at in your introduction with reference particularly to Salam, this idea of language, a a wrestle with language being also a wrestle with the multiple meanings that words contain, that words can slip into other words, that they can find their ghost and their echo uh, throughout the poem. Of course, that that happens on on numerous... uh, levels and and in all sorts of different ways. But I wonder if we could talk about what's implicit within the entire work, which is the idea of music. I've mentioned the idea of the accordion and the concertina that the book might represent, but you work very closely with music. You are a musician yourself. And and the sense of, for me, one of the senses of, of the musical that came through it was the idea of the tango. That the tango is a dance that moves in different directions, one steps forward and back, and one approaches the same point from different perspectives. And it's, this is a tango, if you like, at the end of the century and the beginning of the new. It's at the end of a life, it's at the almost at the end of memory, when memory becomes the only space left, not just a reference to what has gone. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how music and therefore, as I've suggested, the dance, if it does, work as... as both organising devices on one level, but also as ways of thinking about how we make meaning, perhaps.
1: I think music is very much functions the way an image functions, in that music enters us before we can put up any defence against it. it. It bypasses everything and pierces us. And in the same way, an image does exactly the same thing. I mean, we, we are instantly, uh, an image reaches that place uh, and is um, often unforgettable. And so in that, on that level, uh, the materiality in the book, uh, the materialism, is, operates in some ways in that way and I have, I have great respect for the power of the image and it doesn't matter what your subject matter is but if you especially if you're dealing with history or the horrors of history you have to use your images incredibly spare, sparely and that, that again that spareness is absolutely appropriate because we should be silenced by a single image of horror should silence us. Um, I know that in the writing of, of my novels, a you know, a single image would, would make me um, get up from the desk, close the door, door to the room, and you know, for two months, be completely silenced by a single detail. And the appropriateness of that yeah. always, I, I I feel it's absolutely appropriate to be silenced for for months we should be so in terms of uh, the the actual the details the physical details to to take such simple or commonplace details in this case there's uh, a tremendous risk you're, you're asking the, the reader to go with you to that place where, where a gesture, where a, a shirt, or a hat, or a, the feel of someone's hair, or um, contains an incredible amount of meaning, uh, and not be somehow a cliche, or, or but, but retain its specificity. So, so in that way, the, the images uh, operate the way, you know, a single note would work in, in music. Uh, that single moment where uh, we are transformed by what we hear so just, that your question.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, we should say of course that the two chairs here are for the uh, strangers and for the fellow travellers who might uh, in fact already be here. Um, That's right, the spirits the
1: who are in the, in the um,
0: room. And I don't say that sort of flippantly because um, one thing the poem does is, is reverse the usual expectations that we often think of in relation to its themes the dead remember and mourn perhaps even more than the living in Anne's poem but i'm just taking the idea of of the the single moment the, the the image the note, the gesture can you recall now or can you describe for us how this poem entered the form it did was there an origin moment for this work um, um, in terms of the seed of its making
1: i wanted to uh, i knew I knew when my father died that I wanted to somehow look at the elegy in a, in a different way, and I wanted to somehow see if there was a way to honor what is most invisible about a person. I mean, most elegies are concerned with biographical information, um, the story of a life. I didn't didn't want to do that, I wanted instead to somehow make uh, material the, the invisible, the, his invisible life, the things, the um, inner conversation with books that he loved, with paintings that he loved, with music that he loved, all of that, that inner, that inner life, that, that inner conversation that we have with, with the things that, that mean something to us. The thing that vanishes so quickly when someone dies, instant, instantly, and that is often so invisible in our lives, while we're alive. That inner dialogue with with the artists, the thinkers, the activists, the, the work that, that meant my, so much to him. So I also... Uh, so these figures are... Um, the historical figures uh, ranging from, you know, Einstein to Helen Keller to uh, Camus, a, a huge range of, of figures. Some, some people very well-known, others hardly known. Some uh, who, people whose work I, I knew that he had a relationship to, a strong relationship but and, and, and others who I felt uh, certain he would uh, have a relationship to had he, had he known them. And in bringing an, an illustrator to this project, we thought uh, the accordion was idea was very important to me to have that fluidity between the the image and and the poem and the sections of the poem and to have the reader find their own path. But these these figures we always thought of them as uh, being uh, as coming to to the table of history sitting coming to sit at, at the table and. In each case, no matter what political differences or other differences, uh, despite different languages, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that for each of these figures uh, to be in each other's company would be solace, mm-hmm. and that um, no matter what, they would all each under- understand mm-hmm. the other, each other, and so. And so that was, that, was, that was where I was coming from in terms, of, in terms of elegy.
0: You said the book opens and closes with the same words which it does, and they are the wet earth. So here we have obviously the body of your father entering earth. We have the incalculable losses of the Holocaust which informed the whole work, and the many lost writers uh, that are referenced and, and uh, celebrated throughout. But of course we can't help thinking in terms of the body, the body literally of your writing. That the first image that most of us would have encountered is the emergence out of Earth at the beginning of Fugitive Pieces, that saves somebody. Uh, So there's a kind of uh, there's already a correspondence across the body of the work, and uh, and I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you see this poem working in relation to the to the to the larger project of the work, because clearly there we could spend many many months talking about that, but just in terms of its relationship to, to form as well
1: I think that uh, everything that I've written uh, has been concerned with two themes or two explorations one is that there's nothing a man will not do to another and nothing a man will not do for another. And the other is the exploration of what love makes us capable of and incapable of. And so uh, this long poem is, is very much exploring those, those things. This emphasis on the physical world um, being uh, the only way to access the abstract world or the spiritual world is also something uh, that, that figures in everything I've done. Um, because you cannot draw out an abstraction from an abstraction usefully. An abstraction always has to come from the concrete. At least for me, not the fact, but the meaning of the fact. So, in those ways, the the uh, this is just takes uh, takes further, in a sense, things that I've always been concerned with. But the language here definitely uh, is moving into a, into another direction, mm-hmm. and I think. I've talked a bit about faithlessness in language, loss of faith in language, and that's sort of a tricky concept because I, on one hand, I have tremendous faith. You walk into a store like this and you're just, you know, aghast at, at what language creates. And that you everyone has those books that they... Hold close. Um, you know, I write and I read in order to hold another human being close. And we all have know what that experience is. And yet one can feel all those things and also feel one's own failure, be immersed in one's own failure. To write is to feel that that failure all the time. How can you bring yourself and bring a reader close to what cannot be expressed. You know, you're rounding up air. You're, um, it's, it's everything that isn't said that becomes what moves us, you know. So, so there's so many ways in which we are, you know, the, the, the endeavor is, is, is fail, fail, we fail before we begin. So, so in this case also, I mean, how do we talk about death? What language do we have for death? We have the eulogy. We have the liturgy. We have religious language. We have um, bureaucratic language. We have all kinds of language. But but how do we actually? What what can take us right up to that feeling uh, of one's own mortality, of the loss of someone who was there one moment and not the next? You know what is that? What is that? Uh, absolute edge that, that one can can reach. You know, in the past, uh, in terms of, of re- reaching an edge and uh, bringing the reader to an edge, uh, has always been this notion for me of bringing the reader to and myself to to the moment just before you want to turn away uh, to to go into that dangerous perilous territory which we need to uh, you know in terms of history we need to go to those places uh, and we all naturally human instinct uh, makes us want to turn away uh, so how, how do we get to that place right just before and that to me is is the, the absolute essence of morality To think and to feel simultaneously is the only way uh, we can get a grip on moral action. So in this case, again, it was trying to approach an edge where everything that a life contains is is absolutely hinged with everything that is lost. I mean, it's a ridiculous Aspiration. I mean, who can do this? But, but in my mind, you know, and, and the you know the, the, the hinges of the book. I mean, the book is hinge after hinge. It's the same, uh, the same thing. Where, how do we get to the third side of the page? Mm. Yeah.
0: Just before we uh, open out, I'd just like to ask you about, of course, the multiple meanings within the title. Which uh, I don't need to spell out, I'm sure, but, but the idea of correspondence in the uh, written sense is, is critical to how the book works. Uh, your correspondence with memory, your correspondence imagined as well, and also actual, of course, between writers. Your writing to them through the medium of the page. And uh, the book that we were uh, involved with together, that I was privileged to publish, Rail Tracks, uh, two or three years ago now, was, of course, also a correspondence. Uh, in the form of the book and also uh, in writing with John Berger. And I just wonder if you could tease out for a little bit the idea of what the letter means now, because, of course, we're all very aware of the digital threats to correspondence and also the possibilities that come from that space as well. But you write in in this work, you say that, uh, with the voice of the scribe, you say that no two letters may touch each other. And, of course, that is the letters of a word, but also the idea that letters... Uh, do not literally necessarily touch each other but I read it in a way as, as of how close they can get but maybe not quite close enough at the same time you talk about and in a sense the poem does this throughout it reclaims and, and houses events homeless in time which is your own words and so this is a sense of, of the letter, the dialogue, the exchange whatever form it takes being a shelter as you mentioned at the beginning um, but also being a kind of uh, indivisible and essential means of communication between people.
1: Yes, well I mean the the primary feature of the letter is that you are (laughs) writing to someone who is not there. You're writing to an absence and uh, you're writing into the future to the person who will receive the letter who will be changed by the time the letter arrives. So in all these ways um, you know we we address the dead every day we write into the past, we write into the future we write into that absence
0: Thank you, we should open things up it would be wonderful, yes please
1: A theme I wanted to to hear you explore was the theme of exile and exodus Yeah, I mean I've talked about this many times that that the simple, oh, the most commonplace, one of the most commonplace facts of our world now is that millions upon millions of people do not live in the place where they were born. <coughs> and this is such a common thing that we can barely, you know, we barely register it. But in fact, it's a, it's a huge change. What does it mean to live in the place where you were not born? You're, where do you belong? Do you belong? Do you belong in the place you're born? Do you belong in the place you're buried? Do you belong in the place you fall in love? Do you belong in the place your children are born? You could live as a, your entire adult life somewhere and your partner dies and suddenly you need to go home the country you were born in. Uh, So many people have related that experience to me. And in this world now, this globalized life that we have, globalized bureaucracy, globalized politics, this sense of migration, uh, displacement, how do we even... uh, Well, there's just so many ways of of looking at at what that means and in in, again in in almost everything I've written um, there's been layer after layer after layer of examining the meaning of of that displacement displacement because of war, politics, labor, migration um, you know and what what do you bring with you? you bring your body, you bring your memories as I said in Fugitive Pieces you bring your kitchens and your songs but really fundamentally you bring language, you bring your language and the language in which your stories are told.
0: I'd like to ask about the portraits in the book how that idea came about what prompted you to feel that that would be a crucial element and what they sort of bring to the party and who the artist is and that relationship um, and what was the brief to the artist, um, if any.
1: Um, the artist is Bernice Eisenstein. The portraits, uh, the, the the book, uh, the end papers of the book uh, are very short biographies, quirky biographies perhaps, but a certain filter for seeing these various lives and so the portraits uh, are meant to give us a a window into into a life. There is no way that one could insert biographical information into the poem Uh, we would would sink and yet that entire historical context uh, had to be so much in the air and the atmosphere and the soul of the book, and so the portraits were a way of of not summing up a life, but being a, 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 a doorway or a window into that life. So uh, the the biographical notation gives you some idea if you don't know the person, but it was meant to give give a presence, give these presences, presences, and the uh, portrait on the cover. We felt a, a tremendous protectiveness towards this child, and we knew, we knew she had to be on the cover, but we thought a lot about whether, in fact, it was making her too vulnerable to put her on the cover. Um, she was an orphan, orphaned during the Second World War, and the, the great uh, magnum photographer who went by the... The name of pseudonym of Chim was sent to Europe after the war and asked to make a photographic record of refugee children and so I'm just I'm just giving you her example so just to show you how the portraits work in the book and so this photograph uh, of her uh, he, he went to an orphanage and he asked all the children to um, pose beside the chalkboard, and on that chalkboard they were to draw a picture of home. Uh their their view of, of, of home, their own home. And and her illustration was just these jagged white lines which which filled the the, the entire surface of the, of the chalkboard. And and so he, he took it. Photograph of her next to the chalkboard, and so Bernice used that photograph to, to paint the portrait from that photograph. And in all these cases, uh, you know, she was working from from photographs, and this itself was was tremendously important in the sense that this was this is all that remains, you know, in in many cases, simply a photograph. In other cases, we have writings, we have the artwork, we have but but in her case particularly all that remains is the photograph of her so she very much needed to be among all the people all the other figures in the book she would be understood by all of those figures in the book she uh... i gave her a book uh... to put on the chair so she could reach the table so in, in every case uh, these these portraits um, were a way of bringing that person into the sphere of the others, uh, so that there would be, as I said before a kind of shelter and and in doing this, uh, both Bernice and I fully recognized that that in giving them shelter, we were <laughs> trying to give ourselves shelter in trying to give them solace, we were trying to find solace ourselves. So, in any, in any case, uh, that, that was the, f- the function of, of those uh, portraits, was to to bring life right to you, the context of the life, uh, and then, you know, afterwards if you want to find out more, you know, etc. etc. but that was one way of, of creating that, that context. And so uh, we would decide, uh, I would, we would talk about sort of the order of, of how they would be next to each other. Uh, she would go, go away and paint, paint the portrait, bring it back to me, and we would talk about it. So it was a very give-and-take process, and very, quite seamless, because we, the, the, the order just grew organically from our conversations, and in every case I could feel how much she was bringing herself to the painting. I'm incredibly profound way of, of trying to get hold of that question of remembering somebody. This may be a very personal question and maybe you don't have to answer it, but have other people who knew your father reflected on how they remembered him in terms of how you, because a writer takes a lot of power into her hands when she says this is how i remember somebody even though you're not claiming it for yourself because you've spread it out you know beautifully beautifully i think there's several ways to 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 answer that question one thing that i would like to say is that in even when i were to create a fictional character because um, those characters are also reflecting real events and the ex- experiences um, a, co- a context of real, real events my sense of respect of utter respect for that life uh, even in a fictional life is fundamental I mean paramount uh, and in this case too it's a, it's a it's an offering of love it's it's a it's it's a way of trying to um, bring together a certain historical conversation that the, the participants are dying dying off are dying, um, so there's an ineffability about that uh, which <laughs> when a generation passes passes away, uh, one era becomes another. What is that? That's, you know, the gradual instant in Fugitive Pieces. Uh, how do we how do we even talk about that merging from one generation to the next? So I, I I wanted some of that quality to become my form of remembering him rather than personal personal anecdote or so so that for for exactly that reason so that yes my three brothers and you know his sister who still remains alive and you know everyone who knew him also has their you know I'm not encroaching in a sense you know I'm I'm remembering him in a certain way which does not um, encroach on someone else's uh, memories. Because, yes, you're right. As soon as we write something down, you know, it it does, you have a responsibility. Absolutely.
0: It's not a question, but I didn't want to let the opportunity pass of not... uh, just being able to thank you, express you know, my really, really profound gratitude for this incredible gift that you have given us. It's not just I think you know, unbearably moving. Um, but you know, when Gareth mentioned four quartets, it's not a misplaced comparison. Uh, the, the difference is what you've given us is a deeply, deeply political, um, act, and I can't think of anything. Um, more significant, actually, culturally and politically. And that's, yeah, thank you.
1: Thank you. That's Paul Gordon, wonderful writer, wonderful thinker, and I'm very happy you're here today. Thank you.
0: My apologies for not recognizing your face earlier. That's not to be confused with a failure to recognize your voice. Um, and I wanted to ask about some of your earlier writing, Fugitive Pieces and uh, The Winter Vault, where one of the things which really struck me was your presentation of Canada as a place of safety, um, perhaps asylum, and to ask whether the individuals you wrote about in those books were anything to do with your own life and story. I've read you, but I haven't read about you. Or whether they are representations of sort of themes, atmospheres, experiences you are aware of, which you wanted to pass on in a sense on behalf of the people you were writing about?
1: Well, I, I would say both. Both. The one thing that I've always been very careful of is wanting a reader to feel that this is not my story this is your story this is the reader's story this is anyone's story in the sense that you know you, you it's easy to say when you have biographical detail of a writer let's say um, oh well you know she wrote that because she's catholic she wrote it because her father was a policeman she, she wrote it because you know it's of course she wrote it because of right and That, to me, was a tremendous uh, cop-out, you know. Does people say that anymore? (laughs) Cop-out. And when I, in fact, when when Fugitive Pieces came out, everybody instantly wants um, a biographical, the biographical story, you know, and I, I didn't want to do that because the, it mattered to me. The, the, the ideas in that book mattered to me so deeply. And I thought, this is, you know, it's a moral question here. So everywhere I went, I, I was asked Am I Greek? Am I Catholic? Am I Polish? Am I Jewish? Am I. <laughs> and, and it was fantastic because then, then nobody could say, Oh, she wrote it because and um and everyone could just say let's talk about what it's about you know and so i i think i carry a bit of that all always with me that that sense so when i create a character it's 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 this idea of of course the character comes from whoever all writers say you know the characters all characters come from from who you are of course they all all come from the stories that you've heard they come from that other place that third place that is who knows where but in every case i'm trying to bring us as close to understanding something as, as possible or no i correct myself not to understanding something but to coming to come into a relationship with a cert, with certain questions which which don't have answers which maybe can't be understood but you, ha- you have to have a relationship with that question. You have to somehow find a way to live with or have a relationship with the question. And so these, the characters are seeking, seeking that relationship. And so they come from those various places that, that you mentioned, all in order to uh, come to a relationship with something that is perhaps unanswerable.
0: When you might
1: have the next novel? Um, I'm in the middle of it, of a novel. <laughs> um, and uh, it's uh, a different sort of thing for me because the research, far less research, and um, structurally challenging me at the moment. But uh, I'm, I'm getting there.
0: Thank you for joining us for this London Review Bookshop event. For more, visit our website at www.londonreviewbookshop.co.uk or search for the London Review Bookshop on iTunes.